Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And welcome to The Food Fight where we offer a different perspective on food culture issues around Australia and the world. We'll talk with chefs, producers, business owners and experts to hear their stories and find out what makes them tick. This episode, we're speaking with Chris and Rachel Theodore from Sea Urchin Harvest in Tomican on the New South Wales South Coast. We chat about how they built their business, the realities of being a sea urchin diver and about how these sea urchins are destroying marine ecosystems. Here we go. get started all right welcome to a, another episode of the food fight podcast by myself steph postuma as your host simon evans is in wollongong trying to figure out what he's going to do with his restaurants at the moment uh selling takeaway dumplings and things like that from his wine bar uh and i find myself down here in browley speaking with some local sea urchin fisher people rachel and chris theodore thank you so much for joining me Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Ed, what do we call you? Do we call you fisher people? How do we, how, what's your titles? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Fisherman processors. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Commercial sea urchin. Sea urchin. Sea urchin harvest. Harvest. <laughs> yeah, the sea urchin harvest is yeah. the name of your company, isn't it? Yep. I just sea urchin harvest. Sea urchin harvest. Okay, fantastic. All right. Well, as we find ourselves down here on the south coast in Browley and as we travel around with this podcast, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where we are. So we'd like to acknowledge the Ewan Nation who are the traditional custodians of the land of uh, this area and acknowledge elders past, present and emerging. Okay, well, let's start. Why did you become a sea urchin fisherman? How did it start? Um, yeah, I'm actually a second generation abalone diver. So I've been abalone diving for about 20 years and yeah, I just used to curse them and hate them with a vengeance and passion. The urchins? Yeah, the urchins because they take over all the abalone grounds and um, yeah, there's about a thousand urchins to every one abalone and yep. they just get stuck in your knuckles. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah, so I was doing that for 10 years and then there was a small producer in local here and um, I started doing a bit of diving for him that um, wasn't too reliable and stuff, the work, so... I started playing with the idea of sort of starting a small factory myself and approached council. We had a bit of land and stuff and yeah, so we yeah, like we got the go ahead from council and decided we'd do it and build a small factory and started from there. Yeah, right. Did you did you notice sort of as as an abalone diver, did you notice that there was an opportunity, there was a increasing interest in sea urchins like in the market and and 
feel free to jump in too, Rachel, and, and, and you wanted to sort of capitalise on an opportunity or...? Um, kind of. I, I knew there was a market there, but I wasn't sure the size of it really. It, it started out very small and it's taken us 10 years to sort of build the market up to where we need it to be, to, to be pr- properly prof- profitable. Mm. Yeah, it was um, yeah, very slow start. Mm. Took it's a lot of word of mouth to, by the time the word got around. To, mm. It's a very select customers. Mm. It's not just your local general store generally. But, working um, with customers, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we work real personalised with, with customers. Mm. Yeah. And so it's been 10 years, has it? Yeah, yeah. yeah we've, so we've been operating for 10 years. Yeah. It, was, it was a long, hard road because it wasn't even a viable market when we started. Our, our families pretty much supported us while we um, drove ahead with our vision of what we could see, what it could be. Um, but now um, we're well established and, um, yeah, we're, we're doing well now. Mm. If, I, if I think back to 10 years ago where I was, I was probably still working in kitchens back there and, and, and really... Only very few. You'd probably only see urchin on the menu at um, at Japanese restaurants back then. Yeah. Um, not so much other places, and I I doubt anyone was apart from maybe some Kiwis and, um, you know, some other you know members of our ethnic community would would be buying things like urchins to have at home. Yeah, for sure. That no, yeah. was was definitely very. Um, it's, it's definitely boomed in the last sort of five years a lot more. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk a bit about what you guys actually sort of do on a day-to-day basis. Do you want to tell us a bit about, um, Rachel, the types of urchins that you harvest? Oh, we do two kinds, but the main one is the centro sea urchin. That's okay. the one most people would see when they go snorkeling. Yep. The really long black spines. Mm-hmm. So they're right from Sydney right down to Tassie. Mm-hmm. They're quite prolific. Um, and then in winter, we do do um, a white urchin, which we harvest from... Victoria mm-hmm. that's just to get us through it's it's a lot harder the white urchin even though the flavors very rich and and sought after it, for the divers it, it's not um like a pest like the centro so they really got to hunt for them mm. um and they've got to go a long way down the coast so it's a lot more dangerous mm. um and then to harvest them the rows a lot smaller so it's a lot harder for the for the processes. It's a long day. Mm. Um, so we probably do them for two months, and then we're straight back into the centros again. Yep, that's our main our main urchin. And so is that just a is that just sort of a factor of the seasonality of the different urchins? Yes. So what are the seasons? So for centro, typically people would have said December to May. We've managed to create other products and get much better at where we harvest at what time of year so we've stretched that out to maybe august okay so we'll do the centros starting even november right through till august then we'll do the white urchin for a couple of months and then we'll keep testing the centros and when we think they're ready to go um off off we go again okay yeah and can you tell us a bit about how licensing works i know that with the abalone industry licenses are very limited and they're very valuable what was it like applying for your first urchin license or when you applied for your urchin license um yeah so we there's licenses in new south wales they have one attached to every abalone license right yeah in the last ah yeah it was a while ago they separated them so you could sell them off as a separate license so there's roughly 30 or so in new south wales 
licenses out there. And um, so you, to get one, you've got to purchase one off someone willing to sell one. Right. So it's like, yeah, so it's like the abalone license. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, a lot less valuable. One. Right. Okay. So you just go through that process. But licenses are still limited. Why? I mean, we'll talk about, uh, you know, the pr- proliferation of centro urchins in a, a little bit later on in the podcast and, the, and the, the way that they're affecting the marine ecosystem. But... Do you see a good reason, Rachel, as to why they cap the amount of licenses? I mean, in, in, to to that certain number, to that number, to that um, thirty number. Well, it, it is a fishery, yeah. and like all fish, it it is best to monitor it. So with the centro, there's no quota, but we do say how much we catch. So the fisheries are getting an idea, right? You know, they're collecting history on on um, on the catch, which I think is really important. Mm. Um, I think New South Wales is run much better than Victoria in that respect. There's no quota. Yeah, I didn't realise there wasn't a quota, so that does yeah. make sense. Yeah. For, for other species of sea urchin, there are quotas because they're needed. Yeah. Um, you, you know, they're not a pest, but for the centro, they are just taking over. There's actually no way really to control them. Their numbers are that big now. Mm. Um, but the fisheries do take that information, which I think is is important whereas victoria it's chris can tell you it's a completely opposite story and it is actually very frustrating for um yeah they've kind of quoted it down in victoria and only got limited licenses and so it's a massive resource there but it's um quoted so we sort of have a bit of trouble getting extra extra fish out of the water we run in a quota with certain divers and stuff that are able to do it at the time and it, it gets quite hard you need to be quite skilled to be the diver you need proper equipment, boats, and all the diving gear, all the experience mm. necessary. Um, yeah, you've got to be very selective when you pick the urchins up and stuff and from which spots and stuff like that. All right, well, let's let's talk about that. Let's, let's do a little day in the life of an urchin diver uh, kind of thing because I think it's fascinating. So can you give us firstly an idea of what sort of equipment you use? I mean, starting from, you know, the boat. I guess. Yeah, well, I've just had, I've just finally got a new boat, which is a bit bigger. It's up to a seven and a half meter um, uh, formula boat. And the last boat I was using was six meter. We could fit about thirty bins in that, but now we can fit about a hundred, oh, about fifty bins, sorry, in the in the new boat. Since that takes like probably five hours diving. Right. To, and, yeah, and so, how many urchins would would go in one bin? Um, twenty so to twenty kilo. kilo. Yeah, okay, yeah, right. Yeah. So that, that might be up to a ton of product. Yep. Yeah, and um, so, so they're quite easy. You can get them quite quickly when you know what you're doing in the right spots and stuff. Well, that's the thing about urchins as compared to a lot of other, um, you know, fisheries or, or industries, production industries where you're taking from the environment is that they're absolutely everywhere, aren't they? Really, yeah, really. that's right. There's, there's a lot of spots where they're no good. Where Usually if you go to a spot where there's too many, you'll find they're not so good. Right. The... the, the because they haven't got much feed, they're competing for feed so much that they'll stay skinny. Right. Okay. But, um, and also the flavour's not there. Yeah, you lose the flavour. They get really old and they're not so good. So we're finding the spots that we continually keep harvesting seem to be the best. Okay. The rows much fresher and they're younger urchins and they're producing better. They've got more food. Yeah. Cool. Um. And then so, but you're literally sort of as as you said up to five hours or something like that. Are you are you in the water for five hours? Yeah. So you do you five hours in the five water. Five hours a day underwater. Yeah. You're collecting like 40 kilo every 10 minutes, so you're carting a big bag around. You'd say it's like a metre long by a metre round. Wow. Parachute and, yeah. And the big hook. Yeah, you've got a big hook and you hook them all in there. And they're every single one of them's 
wedged into a rock. They they, they hold on quite tight, so they're very hard to, to remove from the rocks. Yeah. And so are you walking on the bottom? No, You're no. Swimming around, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we have a parachute to help hold the weight of the bag up and then we sort of just uh, put that under your shoulder and cart it everywhere and, yeah, just go to the cracks and right. scoop them all You're in. You're swimming around. And, and, I mean, what's it like spending... Five hours, five hours of your day underwater. Do, 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 does it sort of feel like you, you live half on, half on land, half underwater? Yeah, like I used sort to of describe <laughs> it like being hit by a truck when you get out on the next yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, it was like, um, yeah, really, it's, it's quite physical. I'm sure. Um, yeah, but it's yeah, it's hard work. It's but it's nice. You, you got to love it or you'd hate it. There's a lot yeah. of people that think they can do it, and when they actually try it, they realise how. How demanding it is, and you're and you're on a obviously you can't be on um, you know tanks that you take under with you, so it's like a, a an oxygen line that goes up to the boat. Yeah, that's right. We've got an airline running from the boat. Yeah, so the boat will just follow me around all day with the deck end because yeah, you cover quite a bit of ground. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd hate to know how many. I'd love to know how many um, kilometers you do underwater each day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you need some sort of tracker, but little um, underwater Fitbit for, for yeah. how far you. You could probably do that with some sort of GPS. Yeah, maybe. It'd be interesting, wouldn't yeah. it? And, and the decky, it depends on the decky. Yeah, right. Yeah, how much, how hard his day is. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, the deckies, yeah, they've really got their job work cut out for them too. Like, if yeah. I'm really onto them, I can be sending them up every 10 minutes. So by the time they winch the bag up, put the bag into the bins, stack the bins, tie the bag, put the bag on the hose, all at yeah. the same time as keeping the bait off the rocks, keeping the hose loose for me. Um, yeah. Not and dragging then if, if they've got 20 knots of wind on it as well, it's like they're very busy. So what, and you guys have pretty sort of like robust boats that can manage like some pretty serious conditions. Yeah, the boat I've just set up now is probably $100,000 worth to, to be able to just, because we're sort of limited to what days we can work. So we can't really wait for weather. Mm. We have to work sort of Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to be able to get it to market before the weekend because it's only got a short shelf life. So yeah, we, we need some pretty serious boats to be able to handle the weather and then carry the weight. Yeah, so you're sort of underwater in all sorts of conditions. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You dive some horrible like conditions. Yeah, yeah. With Abalone, it, it's you can sort of pick the better days a lot more. But um, yeah, with the sea urchins, yeah, like I say, you need to get it to market every week. So you got to work the start of the week, no matter what the weather is. Yeah. And what does what sort of a, a toll does being underwater for five hours? A day for a few days in a row, sort of like take on you physically. Yeah, oh like yeah, get... it's, it's very hard. By the end of three or four days, you're just like a zombie. It's like you've got a hangover all the next day when yeah. you finally do have a day off. And sometimes it take two days to recover. Yeah, mm. and do you, do you, is there any sort of is there any sort of physiological things with in terms of just being on an oxygen line, being underwater, the pressures and things like that that, that have yeah, an effect on you? Yeah, with the urchins, there they're sort of. A lot easier than the abalone. They're in a shallower water, so I tend to be in around eight meters. Okay. So there's not really any risk of the bends in that sort of depth. Mm. So you can sort of stay down there all day. With abalone, you're going up to fifteen to twenty at times. So that's where you got to worry about the bends. Mm. But um, yeah, just the stresses it puts on your body, pushing that bag through the water and pulling the hose and getting the urchins off it. It's just really hard on all your joints. Mm. I mean, you must have get spined a fair bit and things like yeah, that. You yeah, yeah. You get good at it, so do you, you don't get spined. Yeah, you get used to handling them. But um, yeah. as soon as you let your concentration slip, yeah, sure enough. Yeah. And what about what about sort of that salt water effect on your skin and things like that? Do you have to do you have to take care of your body, uh, like the wetsuits that you wear? And yeah, and you need good quality wetsuits. Um, yeah, they're very sort of soft rubber these days. They're, right. they're quite good and 
Yeah. You're lucky your brother makes them. Yeah, my brother. My brother <laughs> produces them. What, what's the name of the wetsuits? Uh, Black Lip Wetsuits. Black Lip Wetsuits. Yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. No, they're really good suits. And, um, yeah. So they're commercial diver diver wetsuits? Yeah, he, he does um, spearfishing suits and oh, really? commercial diving suits. And, yeah. uh, uh, and can people get them? Yeah, yep. Yeah. So you just, you just Google Black Lip Wetsuits and... Cool. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. he's got them All right. on. Shout out to Blacklit. I actually need a new diving wetsuit. Yeah, so now yeah, yeah son just got one. It's really good. <laughs> I'll check it out. I was diving yesterday and I've got all sorts of hobbies. I'm just, I'm still running a surf wetsuit while I'm out in the water a lot of the time. So anyway, Blacklit. Okay, cool. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about, actually, let's talk about where you where you fish. So we're here in Browley, which is sort of 15 minutes south of Batemans Bay, if you have never heard of it out there. Um yeah, what's the sort of range where you guys... Yeah, so have? that's kind of what got me into it as well. I, was, we, I do abalone diving, so I have to travel to Malakuta a lot to, to, to do my work down there, and I get sick of travelling and stuff. So I knew all the urchins were right here at my doorstep, and that was me sort of drive behind doing urchins. And we had a young family. So. Yeah, so it's good to be able to stay at home and not have to travel all the time. And Because, um, yeah, Malakuta's like the best spot in Australia for abalone, whereas the... Um, up here, it's not quite so good, but the urchins up here are just as good as Malacuta, so mm. it's, it's like having Malacuta at my doorstep. Yeah. Yeah, so, and the, yeah, I just sort of dive out here quite a lot between Naruma and, and Browley, basically. Yep. I, I can pretty much pull as much as I want out of there every year. Isn't that amazing? That I mean, yeah. I mean, and like what you just said, from Naruma to Browley is a huge bit of coastline, and, and as you said, you can get as many as you like yeah. from that one area right on your doorstep. Well, and I've just seen the, the amazing bit is how well it comes back after you harvest them areas where the kelp was nearly getting pushed right back. It's grown up to two metres tall in spots and that now where it's really? sort of harvested all the mm. urchins out and thinned them, thinned them out a lot. Right. And so how long how long has that taken? Oh, it's... it's I reckon two or three years, you start to really notice a, a big difference. Right. Yeah. So you take. So you've got a. You've got a. A ground of, of of essentially, you know, void of void of plant life on the on the seabed and things where where yeah, you harvest right. your Yeah, that's right. So there's from. sort of an edge where the, there's usually an edge where the where the surf breaks and that and that controls the urchins there, so the kelp can stay there. Yeah. So we'll work that edge, and then you grow that edge, and it, it increasingly goes out wider and wider. Yeah, right. Out, out into deeper water. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll talk about it in a moment, but, I mean, in terms of s- sustainable fisheries and sustainable mm-hmm. um, production, yeah. to be able to actually benefit the environment by taking these animals from the, from the environment is, is, is amazing, and it's, and it's a... A sustainability factor that not many other industries are, you know, yeah. have. Yeah, I think it's probably one of the most sustainable seafood industries in the world, really. Yeah. Especially the the ones in New South Wales, the Centro, because they're such a plague proportions. Eighty percent of them are no good for harvest anyhow, so you, you can never overfish it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, and they're very fast growing. They come back very quickly. Mm. So what makes what makes that that vast proportion of them not being um, good for harvest, Rachel? No food. Right. <laughs> they eat themselves into a barren, so it's white rock. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's where Chris is saying he's working along the weed line. Um, they're the best urchins because they're well fed. They've got all those nutrients. Okay. They're going to be sweeter and creamier. Whereas you know you head into the barrens and you can crack one open, you can tell the difference straight away. Right. So Very it's just not as thick, plump, row, fatty exactly. row. Yeah. And, and and not as tasty, obviously, on the yeah, other end. Yeah, yeah, and they can exist like that for like ten years plus, they reckon. Just on a rock. Just sitting in a rock, and they'll actually <laughs> eat the rock. So I don't know if you've ever what? dived under and you've seen the urchin sort of sitting in a little bit of a hole. 
I was doing that yesterday and yeah. I was like, I, I was looking around. We were sort of, uh, where were we? Off uh, Pretty Point, I, th- yeah. I, I think, just over near Tomican and nor near Gorilla Bay. And I, I, I was looking around and every single urchin was in a hole that was shaped like an urchin. Yeah. yeah. It's eaten that hole. It's eaten into the rock. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah, crazy. Their teeth are just so hardcore. Well, wow. I don't know if they're called teeth, but whatever they're called. Yeah, they're beak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, when you hear that chattering underwater, the yeah, that's actually all the urchins chomping away on the on the rock. On the rock. Yeah. yeah. Wow. We actually listened to a podcast and a lady recorded that. I don't know if you've heard that one. Yeah, I've. Well, I know the sound that you're talking about, but um, I, yeah, amazing. A rock. I wonder how. What sort of nutrients are they getting from the rock? Who knows? Yeah, like, I don't know whether, fascinating. They're, whether they're eating it or, or they just sort it might of chewing be minerals it to, to make in it there. Home, maybe, or, or, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. That's interesting. It'd be yeah. interesting for someone to have a look at. Like, what yeah, they? so Pretty Point, that's the marine park too, isn't it? Yeah, so the New South Wales Fisheries actually have a sanctuary there, so you can't actually take purple urchin yeah. out, of, out of Pretty Point. If you can believe they Which won't is... let us harvest them. Yeah, well, let's talk <laughs> about that in a second. We'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to what they're doing on the um, ecosystem. Um, in a second, but let's talk a bit about your processing facility first. Um, it's in Tomican, yeah? Yeah, yep. So we have um, five acres. Yeah. So we've built a processing facility there. Right. And I mean, urchin, I, I, I think having experience in processing types of different types of fish and abalone and lobsters and all that sort of stuff, urchin's a bloody hard thing to process. It's so delicate. And, you know, in terms of the, the sort of weight to to yield ratio in, a, in an urchin it's not high you know there's only yeah five so we're talking and, small percentages so yeah. you go from four percent recovery that's that's the base viable rate right yeah so you might go up to eight percent yeah eight percent recovery is a good rate and so did you at the beginning of the 10 years i assume that around here there wasn't a really established processing system did you guys have to sort of develop that over the years and fine-tune it and things like that yourself yeah for sure we're, we're still learning <laughs> right yeah, it's good. it's uh, it's fascinating to me anyway yeah continually googling and um it's very secretive nobody wants to tell oh really you. yeah yeah no one wants to tell you how they do i won't it. ask you too many questions <laughs> then about it but you you've had to sort of yeah create a system that works for you guys um, yeah and just i think that's where working with the customers really closely has helped Okay. So even today, we'll ring people say, "How'd you go this week? What was the feedback?" And that's how each week. Then I'd go back to the team and say, "You know, they said this and this, so let's try and solve this problem." Yep. Um, and that's how how we still operate today, and um, that's how we grew the business just by working really closely with the customers and giving them exactly what they want. Mm. And so, how many? And and you said earlier before we started, you got about fifteen people processing in the factory at any given yeah, day. Yeah. So, so before COVID nineteen, um, fifteen, sixteen people just processes literally. Um, and then we have a team of divers to draw from about five. Um, okay. Which then is in five deckhands, and then we also have a freight driver. So right. We employ quite for a small business. We employ a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and, and it's the nature of it being so labour-intensive. Um, it, it'd be hard to find a, another food as labour-intensive as mm. sea urchin row, and that's reflected in the price mm. um, for the consumer. Um, but, yeah, our main focus is, you know, getting it from the diver and literally the next day it will get processed and shipped. Um, that's what we've based our whole business on. Because mm. it's, it's quite a... Um 
like the 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 row is so delicate. I've found that if I have because I sometimes mess around with recipes with you know urchin myself here, and if you leave it for a day or two, they just sort of degrade and 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 go a bit sloppy and you, you wouldn't want to be selling something yeah like that's that, right you? so there's definitely a technique that that we've learned to help give it the extra shelf life yeah um and that's all you know for all seafood time and temperature is key mm. and that that's what we follow um but yeah i mean straight out of the shell is always best mm. you know if you're able to get out there and go for a dive that's the best way mm-hmm Okay, and and then so as you mentioned, getting that system of processing right, um, you know, was helped developed by direct communication with the customer. Who are your main customers? Just Australia wide, we 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 sell direct to private people, um, the restaurants, the wholesalers. I can't remember how many. So you sell direct to restaurants? <laughs> yeah, and okay. then also. Um, endless phone calls and letters that I write to overseas companies hoping one of them will reply and give me some help. Yeah, just always trying to talk to as many people as possible to find out more information how we've come to um, where we are today. Mm -hmm. And so you and and you've got a as you said you've got a a freight driver as well so um, before the weekend you send a truck I assume up north to to sort of deliver. Yeah, we we use Qantas Freight um, the couriers, uh, the freight guy, he's the guy who picks them up. Our truck driver, I should say, he, he'll go down the coast and pick up urchins and bring mm-hmm. them back to the factory that night. Um, yeah, that's how we ship to everyone by the next day. Yeah, and can you give us an example? Is there, I mean, as, as we said, maybe there's a bit of a secrecy behind some of this, but can you give me an example of some feedback a customer might have had that, it, that has allowed you to sort of adapt and, and improve the way you deliver your product? Um, so a comment might be, um, it's a bit bitter. So yep. maybe we haven't controlled the temperature properly there. Okay. Um, it's a bit wet. So maybe we haven't left it to dry long enough. This is, I'm talking about the premium product. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different products. Um, yeah. So when that happens, I go back to the team and we just all talk about it and, and we taste and, and um, work it out. Uh, and tell us a bit about the different products you guys offer. Uh, so we've got the premium product, which um, is the most popular with the Asian market, and it's the uni trays. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've ever seen them. Yeah. Some are in wooden boxes, some are in plastic trays, but they're, they're literally just the most perfect pieces of row, um, picked clean, dried, packaged. Yeah. Yeah, and... How you you have so you have to sort of grade as as you process in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. There's grades that we do. Right. And and different customers want it different ways. You know, not not every customer or restaurant wants the highest grade because they might be going to cook with it. So they might you know want the B grade. Okay. Um, and then other products we've come up with sort of to get more price point are some creamy pods that we've just started doing and they're just starting to take off. So what are they? They're literally still the fresh sea urchin row. They're like the broken pieces that didn't quite make the grade for uni. Yeah. Um, but we put them in like a little pod, has a little spoon under the lid. So they're perfect for like a snack. But then you can also use them through fried rice, any cooking you want, um, putting on top of your soup. Yes. H- have you, through 
communication with your customers learn a lot about how to how to prepare them how to cook them and, and things like that yeah of course because yeah. we don't cook like you know Australians aren't big sea urchin eaters <laughs> yeah well that's that I guess that's an interesting thing to talk about like what originally what what maybe 10 years ago when you first started who, who were your customers back then like literally just the Chi- Chinese Japanese and the kina for the lower grade there was only like two grades mm-hmm as as um, sea urchins become more popular and and more knowledge and people have developed a taste for it just like they would oysters or caviar that's where we're starting to see it go more like overseas where there's the different grades of sea urchin row and and different products and um, more and more chefs using it so you're seeing more and more ways that it can be used so it gives you more ideas of Mm. how how can we create more products for them yeah, fantastic. I definitely noticed from being someone that follows a lot of restaurants and chefs and things like that uh, on Instagram that so many more chefs are using it in, in lots of different types of restaurants. It's not necessarily in Asian cooking or anything like that. It's just Yeah, the, lo- the local chef in the Bay had a sea urchin ice cream as a, as a starter. Really? Tinker, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, so good. Was At what restaurant? Really uh, sandbar restaurant. At Sandbar, yeah, yeah. Okay, right, yeah. That was crazy. <laughs> Did you guys have a try of it? Oh yeah, yeah. A few times we love samba. Yeah, and do you do you guys um do you guys eat a lot of urchin? Not really. I suppose on my day to day we'll have because we taste it every day. Yeah, just like okay, any right. Chef taste their food, but um. Yeah, I wouldn't eat it like I eat prawns and oysters no. and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that like, but it's it's the kind of thing that you know, people either love it or they don't like it at all. Sort of thing. It's not really. The people that love it just absolutely love it. They just can't get enough. Well, that's it. I, I think that more and more people are, are beginning to view urchin like oysters y- yeah. in a way that yeah. you just you just eat them whole and you just eat them raw and and they and they're a part of a cold seafood platter like oysters and prawns. Yeah, and that sort when, of thing. when you see where you're getting them and diving from, it's such a pristine, pretty area, and the, and the kelp and the bottom's all so nice. You can see why they're such a high quality seafood mm. well that's that's it and i think that you know one of the things that people love so much about oysters is that they're really connected to the environment in which they're grown and yeah. and, and it's exactly the same for urchins yeah the, urchins yeah. definitely tastes more like the ocean than any other seafood i think mm. yeah. and i mean the fact that they're they're eggs you eat the eggs They've got that. They've got that eggy creaminess, but then that same sort of ocean salinity. They're, yeah, for sure. It's pretty delicious, and and I think that I think that they're much more versatile in in cooking that um that that maybe people would think. Yeah. I think that you can use them in a lot of different ways. They've got a lot of characteristics yeah, yeah, which can go across with different cuisines and things like that. Yeah, they've definitely got the definitely a big flavour enhancer. I think. Mm. Do you? Do you ever export um, or, or, or sell them live? Uh, no, only for us it's where we're positioned, it can get quite costly. Okay. So if we're in Sydney, you know, it'd be quite easy. We could put them in a fish bin and take them to the Sydney fish market and the guys would sell them. Yeah. But, you know, they're so large to put them in a box, you're only going to get, what, four urchins in a box maybe mm. and you've just paid 100 bucks freight for... <laughs> One tub. <laughs> By the time you spoon it all out, about a tub yeah, of urchin. Okay. Yeah, you get, a, you get a lot of value out of sending trays and punnets. Yeah, for, for sure. And costs. and you and you guys have your product available on your website. Yeah, for, for anyone to just sort That's of. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So online for retail, and you can also click contact the diver Chris. Yeah. Um, and that's for wholesale. What's your website? Uh, sea urchin harvest dot com dot okay. au. 
Perfect. And so, yeah, people can get on there and just buy directly from you and you can yeah. get it out there. Yeah, and that's always expanding. We've got a marketing team now that okay. um, are really working hard with us to develop new products and give people what they want. So. Yeah. Well, it's. It, I think that it's It's all sort of quite promising. Hopefully, um, you know, COVID-19 hasn't completely thrown a spanner in the works, but you're seeing people interested in urchins i know that i know a lot of chefs and i know a lot of chefs that are more interested in urchins now than you know previously like years years ago um people sharing i think with the power of social media people sharing different preparation techniques and different cooking techniques and when you've got more high profile chefs from maybe sydney and things like that using them in dishes and getting more exposure and stuff and then i mean you guys have an unlimited quota on them so you're able to upscale with demand and it's also good for the ecosystem so it's kind of win 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 all the way down the line hopefully yeah yeah definitely is a triple win we call it is that, is that what it is because <laughs> like we just employ so many people and you know like you said it's good for the environment yeah, so, so one diver can keep 10 people going all day yeah right yeah so that's that's a, pretty amazing isn't it yeah yeah. yeah so it sort of limits to how many divers you can have because yeah for every diver you need 10 people to clean their catch wow yeah isn't that, that's 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 pretty fascinating the labor that goes into it then you've got one diver who's doing all the harvesting which sounds like it's the most labor intensive part but yeah. it's one person and then you've got another 10 that's getting it all ready to go to market yeah yeah you think yeah, every part of it's very labor intensive yeah yeah from the diver and all, yeah, all the way till it gets out the door i think that um it's it's kind of a credit to I don't know. It's a credit to people's enthusiasm for food, in a way. Yeah, that, sure. that it's not that people are willing to go through this effort and willing to pay for yeah. you guys to go through the effort of, of process, of harvesting, processing, and transporting. You know this product. I think that's part of the probably the journey we've done over the ten years, isn't it? Getting it to a viable price because people didn't really understand that hard work. So it's sort of like working with the customer and educating them on what we do. So then they can appreciate the end result. Mm. Yeah, cool. Um, all right. Let's get on to, you know, we'll dig into how urchins are affecting um, marine ecosystems. And we did talk about it just, you know, briefly before. But Rachel, do you want to give us a bit of an overview about, you know, how it works? What it sort of, what the difference between a what an area of reef should look like as compared to what it looks like when urchins go through um, and that sort of thing? Uh, so that's chalk and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> a, a healthy ecosystem looks exactly how you imagine it, you know, kelp, weed, fish, you know, beautiful. Um, but when the urchins get in numbers that are just humongous, which is how it is, right down the east coast um you end up with barrens or white rock they call it they just eat everything just absolutely everything there's nothing left except white rock so all the vegetation all the algae all the yeah. all the all the seaweed yes. all that sort of stuff gets completely destroyed yep. by urchins yeah um just all gone and we know how important seaweed is and kelp um for oxygen and and just for habitat for fish and um, yeah, so it is a real massive problem, mm. the centro sea urchin. And, I mean, presumably, you know, at, at one point in time, maybe it's maybe it's not, not a correct, you know, presumption, but uh, there was some form of balance in the ecosystem where there wasn't too many urchins and everything sort of had a bit of an ecological harmony. 
why do you think why do you think this proliferation has occurred you know in recent times uh, no one can say specifically why this has occurred it could be from overfishing of other species uh, climate change is a really big factor um, which I would agree with mm-hmm. um, especially with them heading right down to tassie so is that is that with a with a rise in in, in water temperatures yeah. and things like that we're starting to notice the row is staying fat for a lot more of the year now okay so i don't know whether that has anything to do with the climate change possibly well it's got to be some sort of environmental yeah. factor and i think climate change is the yeah, biggest environmental they, they, factor. they say a lot in the back in the early 50s and stuff where they really fished all the big predatory snapper and stuff like that really hard and knocked the numbers way back right and it sort of put a balance out like the sea urchins haven't really been fished where every other species it's pretty much been fished quite hard. So I don't right. Because snapper and those sorts of fish eat sea urchins and yeah, things like that's that, right? right? But yeah, that's right. They're in too big of numbers now, so the only, only way to sort of control them in areas is, is human intervention. Yeah. In, in to cull them back a bit. And yeah, so tell us a bit about the, the culling program that that's happening at the moment. Yeah, so we, um, down in the Victorian Eastern Zone, Abalone, uh, which is around the Malacuta area, down to Point Hicks, um, yeah, they go in and, so they'll get maybe 10 boats and go in and just kill up to like they kill up to 70,000 urchins in a day. And so is this a is this a um it's all through Is uh, it through fisheries and yeah, things like fisheries that? Yeah, fisheries research and development. Right. have organized it and um, a couple of the local divers down there have sort of done all the hard work and Right. So they contract urchin and abalone divers to get in and 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 cull urchins. Yeah, that's right. So up to 70,000 in a day. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's been successful because yeah, they've very targeted su- it so well. Yeah. Yeah, they do targeted areas, sort of map it out on a map and, and they, they maybe target that area every day for a week. And you've been a part of that, Chris? Um, no, not so much myself and my brothers and stuff. Right. Yeah, I'm sort of always busy um, harvesting. So harvesting. I haven't really had time for the cull, but um, yeah, I've seen the areas where, the, where it's colder back and yeah, that definitely gets, takes them out. Right, so there's a notable difference, like in areas. Yeah, the kelp just comes back amazingly. They've got photos of just barren white rock, and then um, time lapse photos of six months later where the kelp's five foot high. Really? And yeah. Six so, months later. Yeah, yeah. It grows amazingly quick when you give it a chance to come back. Do you think that enough is being done? Is there enough culling being done? Should there be more? Oh, there culling? should be more. It's it's. It's a mammoth task, but it's like no matter how. Yeah, well, can you give us a bit of an like an idea of how big the task might be as to as compared to the resources available to deal with it? Yeah, oh, it's a massive task. You could never ever get rid of them all, all right along the whole coast. There's just so many in such a big area, and they go out deep where it's too deep for divers to really spend much time there to actually cull them and stuff. Oh, okay, right. That's I mean, actually one of the biggest problems. They they, they are naturally they're. Urchin barrens have always been around naturally. You don't want to take out every urchin barren in the ocean. It is a natural part of the, the cycle out there. Mm. But, um, yeah, as they encroach more and more to the shallower reefs and stuff, it's good just to just to clear them out and give the kelp a chance to come back and grow again. Is there anything that could be done in terms of allowing allowing more licenses or, or, or things like that would 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 it's, you know the allocation of more licenses not so much because it's limited by processes and stuff and processes right. are limited by sales so if they get more if you get more processes and then the market price drops and it, it ends up being unviable sort of thing mm. but um yeah supporting the, the the divers that are doing it is a good thing and and, and processing 
definitely helps. Mm. What about, um, Rachel, a bit about the Marine Park here, which we briefly mentioned earlier as well, but the Batemans Marine Park goes from up... Where's the the northern yeah, tip of Brush it? Island and yeah, so Borley Point, just south of Aladulla, yeah, yeah Borley Point, to, down to um, Montague Island or something yeah, like that. Yeah, just south of Montague Island. Yeah, so um, it's a it's a pretty broad place, and yeah. it's, and it's the area in which you work. This the these sanctuary zones are. Um, why aren't if you're doing something beneficial for the ecosystem? Is there a reason why you, you know? Have you been trying to get access to to areas of you know, sanctuary zones that have been decimated by urchins and things like that? Yeah, we've put tireless hours in writing and talking to... Um, I actually Banks have got access into Burry Point. Right, okay. Yeah, and um, so since I've only been in there three times because the urchins in there have just destroyed the whole place and they're not even any good for harvest. Mm. And they've sort of given me set areas from their office in Sydney where I can go, but I'm finding them areas that it's too rough. I can hardly ever get in there and... It's, um, they've got to let me just sort of choose my own spots and that I know where the urchins are good for harvest. and show than, the results. Yeah, yeah, we can see the results, but they're not going to see any results at Burry. It's just it's so far gone there. It needs to be cold before you can get a good harvest out of there. There's a couple of little points on there, but overall it's, um, yeah, it's, just, it's just getting decimated. And it should just all be open because I, I go there now to Burry and there's not even any fish or anything in, in a lot of these spots. Mm. I'll crack an urchin to see what the row's like in it and... It won't even get eaten. I'll come back five minutes, still sitting on the bottom. Whereas I go out of the marine parks where I've been fishing hard, I crack an urchin and a thousand fish come and eat it before I even get to look at it. Yeah, right. And why do you think that they're only applying the culling uh, project, you know, in in these areas further south? Like, do you think that um, they're looking to bring sort of heavily pushed by the? It's a very big abalone industry down there. Right. It's, it's worth quite a lot of money and um, it, it was getting destroyed. So down in Malakuta was where the, yeah, it's it's, it's where the, the heart of Australia's abalone industry is essentially. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And and abalone are one of the, you know, most affected animals from sea urchin I, proliferation. I think a lot of people don't realise kind of what's under there. Like there's not that many people out of the total population that actually go diving and, and do, do go to the areas that we go and stuff. And see that see the actual problem is it's, it's out of sight, out of mind. I think is a lot of the problem. Mm. If it was happening on land, it'd be a totally different story. If people could see what actually is going on, but no one really sees. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like if you if you, I mean, you look at you know conservation and 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 things like that on land, and we talk about invasive species and the amount of resources that are put into into managing managing them and and things like that and the way that it's in the public consciousness um it's just so far different but if you could sort of map the scale of destruction that urchins do to the environment onto land mm. it's it, it it's massive yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. and and just because it's underwater people don't necessarily understand it uh, part of the problem is um, they actually the government won't use the word pest when Centro is mentioned. Right. Um, they just say that it's native, which yes, it is native, but so is crown of thorn. Yeah. Um, and but you know when things get out of control in numbers, um, this is what happens: the, the reef gets eaten out. Do you know what? Do you do you have any theories as to why they won't use the word pest and 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 you know like put a bit more of a firm narrative around? I'd say money. (laughs) That's my guess. You know, if you call something a pest, then they're probably liable to actually have to then 
um, do something. Oh, okay, right. That's my theory. I don't know yeah. if that's true or not. <laughs> do you do you see or have you pushed for any culling projects to take place up in this area around Batemans Bay and where we are here, Browley? They are just starting to sort of get one going a little bit further south between Eden and Bermagui. Right. Um, yeah, but it's just it's so expensive to, to employ divers and boats. Mm. Because you're taking them away from what what otherwise is generally quite lucrative work. Yeah, I guess, I guess. so. I mean, they do have the time and stuff, but just yeah, by the time you put a deckhand and a boat and one diver, and um, yeah, they're just the, the population of the urchins is just so massive. It's it's hard to put a dent in it, but um, yeah, harvesting is, is good helping. Like I've I've really done this whole area, Browley Island, um, Browley Beach, Maria Heads, Pedro, Dalmeny. Yep. Um, yeah, like I've help that bottom in all them areas heaps that's great to hear yeah. it's, it's it's good to it's good to know that you know yeah oh, i love going to these spots now they're just like a like a lush garden where they were sort of really barren and stuff before and yeah, yeah it's just and the, the life there it's just comes comes back yeah well it must be it must be a good feeling to see you know the tangible difference that that you're making out there on the environment yeah for sure you take take 50 boxes off a off an area that is quite a lot of boxes and if you do that every day for a week it, it definitely makes a difference yeah yeah and it's it's, it's kind of better than than culling too it's it's leaving well it's selective isn't it's it it's very selective so you sort of select all the large animals and so the small ones will stay there and, and grow but but just if there's less urchins per meter then the reef gets a good chance to to come back yeah cool um Anything else you wanted to mention, Rachel, about you know what's happening in the environment? Is there anything that you guys are looking to do in the future, or anything that the government's putting into place that you wanted to talk about before we move on? Uh, don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah, I'd just like to see the marine park a bit more opened up, and instead of just locking it out, saying, "Oh yeah, that'll fix everything," they just lock it down. They don't even do any research or look at look, go there again virtually. I've never seen a boat out there checking this park. They've shut it down to everyone to be able to fish and stuff in all these areas. But really, it's just, just doing nothing. It's just stopping people having a good area to go and get out of the weather and be able to fish and dive and stuff. But yet, the urchins in there are just destroying all the biodiversity anyhow. So yeah, okay. It's just pointless, especially on the inshore rocky reefs. Yeah. I think it's a lack of money too. That's the block we come up against, isn't it? A lot when we have these conversations with fisheries. Yeah, for sure. It's like we're not going to throw... Because we're probably the, one of the smallest fisheries there's no money allocated to research or let alone development yeah um, so that seems to be a big barrier yeah i just like to expand and get bigger so we can get more divers going and mm. we have a bigger more processes and well it seems to be happening slowly but surely i guess like over yeah. the 10 years there's been a, a bit of a difference and i mean we can probably nicely segue this into how coronavirus is affecting the industry and your market and things like that. Um, but, you know, we have seen an expansion. Hopefully, after this is all over, we have somewhat of a semblance of a vibrant restaurant industry that we had previously who who, who really knows. I know that we're, well, we're definitely going to lose a lot of restaurants, unfortunately, mm. you know, from this. But... um. Yeah, how have you guys noticed, you know, coronavirus affecting your ability to sell your product? Yeah, it, it's definitely had a big um, impact on the A-grade product, to the which was largely to the restaurant. Okay, market. yep. Yeah, yeah it's, it's some of the stories when it first happened were pretty sad, weren't they? Like the fish markets telling us it's a ghost town and just people, you know, shop owners not knowing, you know, there's no timeline, so they're really worried how are we going to get through this? Mm. 
Yeah. It's... With the um, a lot of the private sales and that have sort of kept very steady. And, um, yeah, I think people are, well, they've got a lot of time at home. They're, they're kind of still buying our product. So for you guys, that's like that's a really cool um, and sort of promising thing, I guess, that you guys are doing is that you've managed to establish a marketplace that's not just wholesale to restaurants and to fish markets and things like that, but you've you've found a customer base in people that just really love urchin that want to get it directly from you. Yeah, I think that's because of how we've based our business, which is working so closely with customers. Yeah, um, Chris. On a daily basis, we'll get how many text messages a day from people. Yeah, well, yeah generally about twenty a day or so. Like, really? Yeah. What? Are, so, what people are? What are people texting you? What are oh, people... they're just inquiring and how how they go about getting it and how do they pay and stuff really? like that. And, yeah. yeah. So yeah. these are all potential new customers and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty promising, isn't it? Yeah. yeah they're yeah. always like, yeah, diving, Chris. If you diving tomorrow, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, some of the feedback we get is just great too. Really, really encouraging. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, they just love it. Have you noticed? Um, have you noticed like? You know, are there people that are new to Urchin that are getting in contact with you that are like, oh, well, I've heard about Urchin and I want to try it. What should I do with it? How They're should probably I? a bit more fewer, but you do get the odd people. Like I've got one, someone from Adelaide emailing me at the moment. His questions are really quite yeah, okay. a bit strange. A lot, of the, um, <laughs> a lot of the Kiwis and Maoris, yeah, they absolutely love it. It's like one of their traditional foods. Yeah. yeah so they're, they're like our biggest customers. If it's fresh and big and juicy, yeah, they love them. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, I don't know. I, I'm trying to sort of... Because I, I love grabbing a couple and, you know, having some... And, I mean, you can just put them on toast and it's delicious. You know that what I mean? That is probably like, the most popular way yeah. <laughs> with all the cultures really, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Like the Kiwis will put it on. What's that bread? They um, uh, Fry bread. Fry bread. But then you see other countries like Scandinavian countries with like the toast. or Smorbrot yeah. or something like that <laughs> with like sea urchin on it. I, I, I made like this sort of sea urchin, I'm doing quote marks, but carbonara sort of situation the other night as well, which is like using sea urchin roe instead of using real eggs and it was the simplest pasta that you can possibly make i mean just add a bit of garlic and salt and pepper and a bunch of sea urchin mixed through it yeah and it's it's so easy and it's so delicious so well, that's one of the most popular ways to have it in italy yeah some chili garlic that's it you know, yeah. it takes two seconds <laughs> so i'll put um i'm gonna put i'm gonna put a, a recipe for sea urchin sea urchin pasta on on the website and things like that hopefully we can just yeah keep people aware and 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 keep the amount of people um interested in urchins growing and things like that which will allow you guys to continue to do what you do and keep employing people down in this area that needs employment at the moment and especially after the bushfires and especially after coronavirus now as well so um it's awesome that you guys are able to continue employing people in this area and also to continue um, you know, maintain well, helping helping you know f- this ecosystem that we have, you know, right in the ocean just next door. So yeah, yeah, it's good. We enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right, um, it's probably a good way to end it. Uh, guys, how can people get in touch with you um, and find you? Seaurchinharvest.com.au. Yeah, okay, yeah. au. And are you guys on Instagram, social media and things yeah, like that? Yeah, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, just um, Urchin Harvest. Yeah, Chris's number's there. You can always contact Chris. Yeah, <laughs> find Chris's do. number and send him a weird text message. <laughs> yeah. I need a recipe for seaurchin ravioli or yeah, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah, I've had a few people call and ask just about they're harvesting them and what part do you eat and how do you do it and really yeah you should do some sort of like online course or something like that and people can people can pay five bucks and jump in and this is how you process urchin properly watch out for the spikes yeah watch (laughs) out for the spikes it is it is it is a bit of a process isn't it but um 
it's rewarding. I think any type of um, harvesting you can do yourself and, and, and go away and eat it, it's, it's nice and rewarding. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah cool. Um, all right. Well, for the guests, for the, for the listeners out there, if you want to get in touch with this podcast, you can email us at thefoodfightpodcast at gmail.com and find us at the Food Fight Podcast on Instagram if you want to get in touch also. Um, yeah. Guys, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for coming to my little place here in Browley and talking about what you do. <laughs> thanks, Steph. No worries. Thanks for <laughs> no worries. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.